0: Welcome. This is the Man Overseas Podcast. Let's get right to it. My guest today is Ted Aegon. He's a very interesting man. I really, really enjoyed our discussion. In fact, we only recorded this podcast for an hour. But even after we stopped recording, Ted and I just kept hanging out for like three or four hours because he's just a fascinating guy and I enjoy his company. So he's an author and speaker. and You can tell he spent a lot of time thinking and learning about the world, which is my kind of guy. I'll give you some examples of some of the cool things he's done. So he and two partners built and operated a fleet of six tugboats and 33 barges for use in the Mekong Delta and Don Ha. He actually logged eight years in Vietnam during the war. And he was also the chief of operations for a rescue ship in the South China Sea. They rescued 146 men, women, and children, and they were all Vietnamese refugees. So he also flew uh, supplies into Cambodia following the Killing Fields era. That was when over 2 million people were systematically killed under the Khmer Rouge regime, that's Pol Pot, and so much more. He's been a ballroom dancer for 61 years, so to get a chance to sit down with someone who has lived such a rich life and was so willing to share a morning with me and my audience was just a real treat. So you know I speak a lot about the importance of having friends of all ages. Well, Ted and I are from different generations, obviously, but it's important that People from different age ranges hear and hear each other and connect and share ideas. Because I can guarantee you, as I sit here, your not so humble host. um, if you, if you only have friends your age, your life won't be as rich. You won't experience the same growth of someone who does have friends of all ages. Anyway, my, that's my two pesos for today. Um, back to my guest. So he's a thinker and values solitude like myself. In addition to his experiences, we'll talk about some of the things that he writes about in his books that he's authored, which are things that I enjoy talking about, incidentally, like thinking and communicating and the rational versus emotional and so many other things. So let's get started. I've got a great show for you. Ted, welcome to the Man Overseas podcast. How are you? Fine, Jacob. How about you? <laughs> we joked about. It. I called you Tom before you before we started. Yeah, he you, you said your name is Ted because yeah. you do TED talks. Everything you do is a TED talk. Exactly. <laughs> I can't get away from it. You have a great voice, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> I guess the contrast of my voice is going to sound terrible, but you're the star. I, d- I
1: doubt that. <laughs> my my voice changed when I was 14. So I used to go to my
0: mother and say, "Mommy, can I have some candy?" <laughs> nice. So I asked you to be on the podcast because when we talk, you always have thought provoking questions and, um, you're someone who has put a lot of thought into thinking Mm -hmm. and I think about thinking a lot too. So the title of your most recent book, which I appreciate you've given me a copy, it's called The Learning Curve. Tell me about the lady that you dedicated the book to.
1: That's my mother. Uh, She raised three boys by herself. Our dad died when I was, we were all infants. And so she was quite a lady. She uh, she was in Vietnam during the war with us, although we were all civilians at that time. And she traveled Mexico for two and a half years in a pickup truck and camper by herself in her 50s to learn Spanish. <laughs> so this is a woman who was born in 1916. So she gave us appreciation of nature, art, music, so forth and so on.
0: Beautiful. And so the title of the book, The Learning Curve, what is The Learning Curve?
1: The Learning Curve is a condensed version of uh, a larger book, which is called The Human Key. And I condensed it because I I call it the meat, and the the larger book, the comprehensive version, is the gravy. Mm -hmm. So after you read The Learning Curve, and you get through it, you understand it, you agree with it, and your appetite is whetted, then you go to the larger book. So they start out, uh, both of them start out, but uh, what I do with the the human key, end with this one, is that, or the learning curve, is that I say, you know, we humans are made up of two, two major things, emotion and reason, or emotion and rational. And if we were totally rational, we wouldn't be humans, we'd be machines. If we were totally emotional, we wouldn't exist. So it's the combination of those two that makes us human. So our rational puts off the negative parts of our emotions, fears, so forth and so on, where it's due. But our positive emotions uh, help us in our decisions, which is the rational part, on family, friends, and community. So this book, or both books, are on the rational part. The wild card is our emotions. And only the consistency of the rational mediates and moderates those emotions. So, Starting out with the rational, we humans are different than all the creatures on earth because of our ability to think. Look at our technology, look at our medicine, look at what you're wearing, look at your surroundings, just look around you. So this begs one question, if thinking is central to who we are, what is thinking? And for you listeners, have you ever asked yourself this question? Has anybody ever asked you this question? In my talks, I find that very few except for a few philosophy students have ever asked this question, what is thinking? Well, if we don't know what thinking is or don't know what something is, we can't knowingly improve it. And we certainly want to improve it for our children and ourselves for a better life, whether that's Mm -hmm. our personal life or business life or government. So while writing a book on communicating, because I was giving talks to combined college classes on this subject, Afterwards, I was asked, could they buy my book? And I had to say, I don't have one. <laughs> so I said, hmm, maybe I should write a book. So while writing a book on communicating, I stumbled over a definition. And I'm going to pass this along to everybody listening, this definition. Afterwards, I'm going to ask you, would you agree, disagree, or not sure, or any other question or any other answer that you may have? So here's the definition. Thinking is the process of asking ourselves questions.
0: I like that.
1: Do you agree, disagree, not sure, or any other answer? If you agree, that's good. And if you disagree, not sure, or any other answer, you also agreed, how is this possible? because your answer obviously came from thinking. Sure. And answers also come from questioning. So those things are equal to the same thing or equal to each other. That's Euclid, that's his formula. So effectively, they're both the same because they both produce the same products. now that we know that thinking is actually asking questions or asking ourselves questions we can't help our children or ourselves to think better but we can have teach them to ask more and better questions instead of shutting them down which is an unintended form of child abuse so this has to be if it's true in this situation this logic we just went through then it's true every place so our brain for example is an analytical organ. Analyzing is questioning. It's a questioning organ. We can only get answers or solutions or ideas or products by thinking, by asking ourselves questions. So if we look at a child before they learn to speak, they pick up something. You can see their forehead furrow, squint at this thing, pick it up, put it in their mouth, taste it. They're curious. Well, curiosity is the human need to understand. And to understand is to have an answer. And what's the only tool of curiosity? The question. Highly intelligent people come up with cures and solutions and formulas and processes. Those are all answers. They ask better questions. They're more analytical. And Jean Piaget, early education, 1930s for children, said, intelligence is not measured by what we know. It's measured by what we use when we don't know. And what do we use when we don't know? Questions. The scientific method starts with a question, and it's all about questions. In fact, science comes from the Latin word scientia, which means knowledge. We can't acquire knowledge without a question. In search of knowledge, there are only questions and answers. And knowledge is an accumulation of answers. we've all heard of critical thinking Mm -hmm. look it up it's all critical questioning why don't we just call it critical questioning then we take all (laughs) the mystery out of it Okay. Mm -hmm. everything that is man made or human made if you prefer is an answer to somebody's questions from spears to spacecraft every word in every language is an answer to this question what do I call this whether it's a feeling, place, shirt microphone Anything you want, we put a name to it. That's an answer. What do we call this? So it's throughout. In fact, there's one company in 1999 that started with a $100,000 investment. In their sixth year being in business, their market value was $6 billion. And they only did this by providing a path for people's questions. We call it Google. <laughs> you only go there when you have questions. In fact, Googling is a new word for questioning. So technology provides another word. So you find this throughout everything we do. So, to be brief as possible, in search of knowledge, there are only questions and answers. Well, when we're searching for knowledge, that's the process of learning. So in the process of learning, there's only questions and answers. And the only way we learn is to question. That's how we get information. Now, you might say, oh, I don't, I don't find myself asking a question before I come up with an idea or solution. Well, I I understand that. Some people say there must be something more. Even though they agree with the definition, there must be something more. What is this something more? Our brain is analyzing all the time. Even when we're unconscious, which we call sleep. That's the reason we don't roll out of bed. Because our brain is analyzing how much we got left over, and how much we're rolling, Unless we've had too much alcohol to drink, and that's another issue. <laughs> the other thing, when our brain hears through our hearing system, a sensory system, a strange sound, we wake up, it's always analyzing. When we walk down through a crowded sidewalk, we seldom bump into people because our brain is always analyzing where we are and make adjustments. Adjustments or answers. So most of these questions are unconscious questions. Many people, when I say when I give the definition of thinking, thinking is the process of asking ourselves questions, what do you think of this? They say, what do you think of it? What your you question about it, right? They say, hmm, what do I think about this? <laughs> so they repeat the question. Mm-hmm. So you're actually, anytime you ask a question of somebody, you're transplanting your question in their head because they got to go do the same. Socrates found this out 2,300 years ago. The Socratic method for teaching has been used in law colleges in the United States for almost 100 years. That's where the professor teaches by asking questions because it causes people to think. In fact, Socrates said, I cannot teach anybody anything. I can only cause them to think.
0: Indeed. Is that the only way to think is to ask yourself questions? That's correct. Yeah. Do you think that... <laughs> <laughs> See? See
1: how it <laughs> easy We use these words, think, thought... And thinking, right? <laughs> if I ask you what you think, I'm asking for your answers. Yeah. If I'm asking what you're thinking is this, I'm asking for your answers. If I'm asking for your thoughts on this, I'm asking for your answers. But if I ask you what is thinking, now we're talking about a process, mm-hmm. not a product. Or if he was deep in thought. What does that mean?
0: Deep so, in questions.
1: So we use these quest- We use these words thinking, all the, think and thought, and think all the time, not knowing what they are. They're mm-hmm. both. They're both a verb, and they're both and a noun. So it's confusing. So we haven't pondered. It's like trying to ponder the universe. What is thinking? It's so... I mean, the human brain is the most complex thing in the universe, actually. It's just too big to think. You know, when I say, oh, that's a deep subject, thinking, learning, communicating. It's actually when you start looking at it, which I stumbled over. By the way, I stumbled over this definition just the way that Christopher Columbus did. He was heading for Asia, and he stumbled over another half of a planet, you know? And we praise him for his discovery today, even. His blunder. Okay? So... Many things are discovered in history, like penicillin, the first antibiotic, was an accident. A guy named Fleming was working, he was a, Scott guy, a Scottish guy, working in a research hospital in London in the 1930s. And he was studying bacteria, and he had his petri dishes with bacteria. So he left the top off two of them, left the window open to the laboratory, and went on vacation. When he came back, the bacteria were being killed. That's how we discovered penicillin. Mm.
0: Yeah, Viagra was discovered by accident, too. Exactly. <laughs> I know. In fact, the guy that discovered
1: it was, went to a, to a talk, and he said, Look, I v- took Viagra, and he was showing him what the reaction was to the Viagra. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice. Let's switch gears to writing, because I know that you've written two books, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And written a book on haiku, too, which I don't have on my website. Okay. So you referred to the book that you gave me as a think piece, which you you say that a think piece is writing for an audience of one, the author. That's correct. Which got me thinking. So I used to say that I was writing for my best friends. So like Joff, Chase, Ori, Billy, Those. that's a shout out to my friends. Mm. If I'm writing for them, I know they're going to like it. They like the way I think, otherwise we wouldn't be good buddies. Mm. Okay. So... I've also considered writing for maybe a 100 versions of myself, which is, which is writing for the author, right? It just makes writing easier when, you think, when I think, think of it this way. Right. How do you think about writing for an audience of one?
1: There's a quotation which I'll paraphrase. Our age is not measured in years by our level of curiosity. And I'm a very curious person. When I learn a language, I find out where it comes from, even English. Where do we get this word? I'm always asking about where do we get this from? Who said that? So forth and so on. So I wrote the book to kind of get my ideas in a in a pattern in a chronological order, finding discoveries on these case in this case thinking and thought and learning and communicating. Okay, and they started to consolidate and come into a form. And I said, well, this something this is something that I must share with everybody else. It would be irresponsible of me. At the minimum or maybe unethical not to share what I discovered because it has an impact on the most people in the world. As I did Sea Rescue for the Vietnamese boat people, I do something for others. Mm -hmm. And that's where we get the most reward, by the way. So then it became an audience of other people, but I still was speaking in my frame of mind and I write in colloquial terms. I don't write in big, long terminology. Any public speaker, usually a man, who uses large words to impress his audience he is not communicating to some because they don't understand what he's saying. And other people people think he's a pompous ass and don't listen to him either way. So he's losing those people too. Yeah. And when you grow up as I lived in five different countries that didn't that English was a second language, I learned to speak simply to be understood. Mm. So I write simply. Haiku is simple. The Japanese poetry 17 syllables. Some people say, oh, that's very constrictive. I think, well, I think Van Gogh also thought the frame was very restrictive too. Van Gogh, (laughs) we call Van Gogh. So, writers say, when they're asked, how do I learn how to write? They say, write. Mm. Everything in life is practice. Mm -hmm. We all speak, so we got the words. Just start putting on paper until you do. And all writing is rewriting. All authors will tell you, anybody who writes a book or anything, you go back. And rewriting is re-questioning.
0: And the best way to organize your thoughts.
1: Exactly. And so if you're writing, in fact, I say in the book, one of the best ways to practice thinking is to write. Yeah. Because when you write, you say, does this paragraph go here or goes later? Who's my audience? Am I using the right words? Am I getting too complicated here? Is my verb conjugation correct? Uh, should this go in the next chapter? It's a constant process of questioning yourself, which is thinking. In fact, when you when you write, you mine your mind, mm. and
0: mm-hmm.
1: we discover things that we didn't know we knew, but we observe all of our life. All of a sudden, they pop up. When I was in the Air Force, I was went to 38 weeks of school for electronics as a technician on weather equipment. I went to my first duty station, which was a depot in Georgia, and they took care of all the problems in the seven southern states that couldn't be done by the local technicians on those sites, okay? Additionally, they brought in 10 technicians who had been in the field for some time in for retraining or bringing up on the new technology and all that. So, six months being a technician after school, the first sergeant came to me and said, Ted, you know, John, that's the instructor that teaches these people, he's leaving in, uh, in two months. You're the next instructor. Now, I hadn't been taught to be an instructor. I only had six months of being experienced as a technician. And all the people I would be teaching outranked me, had more experience, and were older than me. Talk about being in the firing line as instructor. Well, I learned, looking back, when I started writing, I know I, how I conquered that, because they kept shooting these questions at me that they didn't think I could answer, right? And I started writing down those questions, mm-hmm. and those became my curricula. So I was getting better every class I did. I didn't know I was consciously doing that as process of thinking, but as I look back, aha, I was doing this when I was 18, 19, 20.
0: Mm-hmm. You talk a lot about kids in the book, which interests me as someone who hopes to be a father at some point. I don't have the the specific demographics of my audience, but I presume a lot of them are parents.
1: Or will be parents.
0: Or will be. You write, how many opportunities do we have in our lives to make a significant difference in the lives of others? Which legacy will I leave? We hear the word legacy thrown around quite a bit. But what does it mean to leave a legacy?
1: That's a good question. I hadn't been asked that before. So I have to ponder on that, by the way, that's thinking, this question. question. In fact, when you see the the thinker, what's Uh he doing? He's asking questions. And are you able
0: to think as you're saying what you're saying? Because everybody does that, right? You buy yourself some time. Of course, Uh,
1: and politicians particularly. Okay. (laughs) A legacy is something that's of value to people in the future. Whatever that value may be. I believe that understanding what thinking, learning, and communicating, which we all do on Earth, is one of the greatest legacies I can put forward. Mm. As I said before, I thought it would be irresponsible of me at the minimum not to pass on what I stumbled over or at a maximum unethical. And we have a challenge in the world in different areas, government, politics, foreign affairs, and not enough questions are being asked. Mm. And the law of unintended consequences is the law of not enough questions. Mm. Yeah, that's
0: good yeah. Really?
1: Makes sense. So that's that's what I mean by a legacy. When I was in sea rescue work, Vietnamese boat people, I had a ship two doctors and nine nurses, and rescued Vietnamese boat people in 1979 in the South China Sea. Then we worked in the refugee camps for the Vietnamese in Indonesia. Now, those people, 50% of all Vietnamese that went to sea died. Jesus. So anybody you save is a legacy. And one of those young boys of five years old, he's written a book called "The Wind, Where, Where the Wind Leads. In fact, it's on my website. He's a doctor today, and he was a five-year-old boy at that time. That's mm-hmm. a legacy. Oh,
0: that's
1: awesome. So we don't know the impacts we have. I think the the greatest happiness and the greatest gift we give to ourselves is helping other people. Indeed. It can't be measured by any other. Money is not a measurement. It is not a measurement. It's good to have, obviously, but it's not the thing. It doesn't create happiness for us. It may give us pleasure from moment to moment, but it's not lasting. Happiness is something that's internal and lasts all your life.
0: When I started traveling the world full time in 2015, which led me to being the man overseas, (laughs) I was driven by curiosity and a strong desire to learn more about the world. How can we help to cultivate curiosity in kids?
1: We don't need to. Because between the ages of three and five, they ask a million questions. What we do is we should not stomp that down because it's an unintended form of child abuse. We're limiting their creativity. Is that
0: laziness on the part of adults that they're tired of hearing questions? That's one. The other thing is, I'll ask you this question.
1: Brad, what's your last name?
0: D'Antonio.
1: D'Antonio. Anytime anybody asks a question, they always take control. I just did. Now, some men particularly would say, what do you want to know my last name for? Unconsciously, they're trying to take back control. Mm -hmm. In fact, you'll find politicians doing that. Mm -hmm. Okay. The brain as an analytical organ cannot ignore a question. Mm -hmm. It causes you, causes the brain to either attempt to answer it, Mm -hmm. not to answer it, which is a decision, which is an answer, right? Or to lie. Now, I can ramble on and all this, and you can with other people, and they can forget all your words, but the brain cannot ignore a question. So, when children are asking all those questions, we don't know it, but they're taking control. Wait a second. You know, unconsciously, I'm the adult in the room.
0: Mm.
1: Now, if you want to change the subject with these children, you say, Johnny or Janie, where's that toy of yours? Where's your dad? Where's your mom? Just ask them a question, you take them someplace else.
0: Mm.
1: They have to consider it. The brain cannot ignore it. In some talks I give, I use this example. I ask, anybody here, does anybody here play cards? There might be one or two guys I say, yeah, I do. I say, oh, how often do you play? Oh, I play once a month. Good. Well, let me ask you some questions. Now, audience, I'm only going to ask him questions. So I start off, how many cards in a deck of cards? 52. How many suits? four. What are the colors of the suits? Red and black. Which are the red ones? And by doing 12, eight, nine to thirteen questions, they always arrive at the king of hearts. On the front table, I have an eight and a half by eleven inch envelope. I ask one of them to come up and pull out this card, and it's the king of hearts. Now, afterwards, they ask, how do you do that? Because you can lead any place, any people, any place you want with questions. Mm-hmm. They don't even know what's going on. Now, there's a negative thing on questions. There's a thing called paralysis of analysis. Sure. That's where we're questioning all the time. We never get out of that loop. Mm-hmm. The only way to get out of there is action.
0: Yes. Okay.
1: Uh, the other thing is interrogation. You don't want to sound like an interrogator with your questions either. So it's tone and the rapidity of what you're doing, and primarily tone. Sarcasm is a tonal offense. Mm, yeah. Okay. So so those are the two negatives about asking questions. As long as you stay away from those two areas, either by action or by tone, you'll do okay.
0: Yeah, I like that. You write the most basic elements of human existence thinking, learning, and communicating. You go on to say that if you can think, learn, and communicate well, that you will succeed over others who do not. And I say all the time, there's never been a better time to be alive than now. If you're a, if you're a thinker and a voracious learner, we have the answers to almost any question in our pockets at all times. Correct. Do you think having access to Google and social media has inhibited our ability to think? Not to Google, pretty, primarily,
1: because Google, you're curious. You wouldn't be going to Google, because Google's a questioning operation. You only go there when you have questions. Use as a research tool, by, re, by the way, researching is questioning, If you use, and I use it voraciously. I want to find out if I'm right or wrong or somebody else has another different idea about it. I'm looking at both sides of the fence. An example I use when I'm sitting in front of somebody or a group, I hold up my hand with the back of my hand facing the audience. I say, describe my hand. And they say, well, you got fingernails, knuckle ridges, and hair. I say, And I'm looking at the other side and I say, no, it isn't. It's wrong. <laughs> They're just different perspectives. They're both true. If you don't ask enough questions, you don't see. And then there's the tip of the fingers and the side of the hand. So there's six different perspectives on a hand. If you don't ask questions, you can only get one side. You're going to make faulty decisions many times. The law of unintended consequences is not asking enough questions.
0: I dig that. You write Master the simple to comprehend and conquer the complex. My last blog article, 13 Rules to Live By, I touched on this. I said, I quoted Charlie Munger. He's a 95 year old billionaire philanthropist. He's mm-hmm. uh, Warren Buffett's right hand man. He says it's better to remember the obvious than grasp the esoteric. And esoteric is kind of a big word that, yes, we, that yes. we should try to shy it's away right.
1: from. In fact, I don't use <laughs> I don't big use big words like esoteric. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I hear you. So, where do you gain that kind of wisdom? Where. Is it later in life that people come to realize that those who use big words are usually disguising the fact that they don't know what they're, t- what they're talking about? How do we come to this uh, simplification? Did you gain that wisdom later in life? I grew up as a simple, in a simple area. Oh. I grew up in a
1: farming village of 800 folk on the Canadian border. I oh. uh, grew up without a father because our father died when he was 39 and we were all infants and my mother raised us. When you grow up with no money, but you grow up with great community, you and you grow up in nature, you learn to observe the simple. And for scientists, they're also called reductionists. They reduce down to the bottom, to the atom in this case, to mm-hmm. find out how things occur, molecules and so forth, and work it back up. Ah, this is why this occurs. So you reduce it to the simple to understand the complex. Leonardo da Vinci said the greatest sophistication... Is simplicity. And the simplest life is the deepest and broadest life.
0: Mm.
1: It's not cluttered. It's family. It's friendship. It's community. That's it.
0: That is awesome. And maybe I have some of that because I grew up in a little town called Thibodeau, Louisiana. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love that answer. Um, I'm sure you've been exposed to different religions around the world. The Buddhists believe that you are not the thinker. You're, you're more experiencing your thoughts and can observe them. How do you keep from, if that's true, or even if it's not true, how do you keep from getting overwhelmed by thoughts?
1: Well, the, the same is true today particularly because, as you say, we have the encyclopedia of the world in our pocket, which is what we call the smartphone, which I think are making us dumber. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so we're overwhelmed with information, which means we have to choose what information we do. Choosing is a questioning process. A choice is an answer. We have to use questions to find out what is important to us individually and for families and for children, and that's where we focus. So we don't go on the the uh, on a smartphone. Most of us, when we are uh, we're bored. Boredom is a human quality. Boredom usually causes us to do something more important. But nowadays, with your smartphone we get on these games, we're doing the less important. We're not thinking. As Einstein said, after a certain age, we shouldn't be reading books because we're thinking like other people instead of having our own thoughts. Well, it's even worse with a smartphone because now we're entertaining ourselves, we're not even thinking. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: We're just exercising. It's like doing calisthenics. Well, it's better to do a sport.
0: Yeah.
1: Because at least the sport you're doing something. In my case, I'm a freestyle ballroom dancer, been for 61 years. So at least I'm engaged with society, culture, music, so forth, and so it's something not just doing calisthenics, not doing it one step over and over again. Mm -hmm. It's going through a process. Mm
0: -hmm. You mentioned Socrates earlier. Do you have a favorite thinker or philosopher?
1: No, because, as I say in the first part of my book, under the topic why's, uh, and that's in the human key, that common sense is not common between climate and culture. What I mean by that is Eskimos in the winter have a different common sense than people who live on the equator in the winter. Also, between customs is different, between religions is different. So the common sense, I believe, is that which has been common down through the thousands of years and is still true today or we wouldn't be reading their their comments, their observations. Humans haven't changed much. Technology has, but not humans.
0: Yeah, and those quotes or observations from past thinkers have withstood the test of time, which validates them, right? I mean, correct. Or they would
1: have they would have disappeared in the mist of history if they weren't true today. Yeah, I think
0: people dismiss
1: cliches. Well, I don't think they're cliches. I think they're observations.
0: Mm. But don't uh, they become cliches?
1: Well, they can be. Yeah. I mean, when people say that knowledge is power, right? Right? They say that very officiously,
0: yeah.
1: pompously sometimes. Uh, so anything we learn—if you learn anything today or gain any knowledge today—knowledge is power, right? And we've heard that for a long time. Well, in fact, Sir Francis Bacon wrote that phrase down almost 400 years ago, so it makes sense. But it's wrong. If knowledge were power, there would be no obese doctors or nurses from overeating. Knowledge applied. Action. We, we, we would all exercise and eat probably because we know better. We'd never start bad habits like smoking because we know better. So if knowledge is not power, what is power? Action is power. Mm-hmm. Action always gains knowledge. Knowledge without action gains nothing. Now, Action with knowledge is more powerful. So knowledge is a power amplifier, but not the power. Mm. So we talk about these things. Knowledge is power. We haven't looked into it. It's a cliche, actually. It's not power. We never examine the normal. There's a lot of things we don't normally examine. For example, the word question or think. We haven't thought about thinking. What is it?
0: Another quote from your book is, learning how to learn is life's most important skill. What advice do you have for people who want to learn better or accelerate their learning curve?
1: Ask more questions. In fact, you can rephrase that and use questioning instead of Thinking. learning.
0: Yeah. Learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are the most important questions to ask yourself?
1: Now, I'm not an introspective guy. <laughs> Is that true? That's right. Now, I don't think about myself. Uh, I'm not saying, why am I this way? Why, why, why? I just move on. All of us are imperfect. Live with it. Apparently, we all do. So all we can do is our imperfect best. If we dwell in the past, we're not working the future. In fact, there's only now. The better now we make, the better our past nows and future nows will be. There is only now.
0: I love that.
1: The past can serve you, though, right? Can't you gather it well, up and well, harness it? Absolutely. In fact, we learn more from our mistakes, our imperfections, than we do from our successes. Because there's a certain level of pain. And also asking the question how can I do this better the next time? It causes you to think, ponder, adjust. Do you keep a journal? I do not. So never I know have. you do. Never have.
0: <laughs> I know you do. I read your website. I do. And the reason I do is because it helps me to learn from my mistakes. Oh, I agree. That would be great. But I, I've never done that. Mm. Uh, as I said, I'm me.
1: not re- inf- introspective. Yeah. and you Now, do- maybe through my haikus, if you read my <laughs> haikus, I do examine things. In it. For example, uh, I come from the north where it gets minus 35 when I delivered papers as a kid, door to, walking door to door. So, here's a haiku. Isn't it strange how one thinks with friendship round fires that winters are cold? Because in the north you gather together in houses and around fires, and that's the warmth of humanity. So it's the contrast between cold and hot. What, what do we consider cold? What do we consider hot? Or, uh, on the more humorous side, poly- uh, pigeons... Privy to the way of politicians, do mark their statues. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. so there's many, so it allows you to examine nature and what's happening because you have to consolidate that all in 17 syllables, and if you keep to the form, it's three lines, five, seven, five. So it allows you to still and combine and get it all said in just one, really one sentence. And when I'm looking for quotations that I really fundamentally want to use and get to the heart of thing is usually one maybe two sentences rarely three sentences if you can't encapsulate it life is simple if you look at it but we don't look at it
0: yeah i'm this when i write blog articles i usually when i'm done it has about 4000 words and then i my goal is to cut it in half and then cut it in half again yes. Um, besides your book, what is another book that you might recommend for those who want to learn how to think better? I would look for
1: any books. In fact, I mentioned one. I can't remember off the top of my head uh, in the Human Key. There are books on people who who write books on questioning. That's the, that's the center. That's the very essence of thinking. In fact, if you go online, look at criticalthinking.com mm-hmm. You notice it's all about asking questions. They have a great graphic there. Each spoke of the wheel is about different questions to ask. Now, the questions we ask are different for children. If we want children to think better, then we progressively ask more and more difficult questions to them because when you ask a question, it goes directly in their head and they have to ask themselves that question, which is thinking. So they're getting better and better at their thinking process. In fact, you'll find that critical thinking is now migrating down to the school system, even to the younger kids on critical thinking, because that's when you can tell the difference between fake news, real news, propaganda, so forth, and so on. The trouble with propaganda is the first part of the propaganda is true. The last part is not. (laughs) So we say, since this is true, this is all true. No. And that's one of the challenges of writing a book on thinking. Just because it looks like this way, what's the rest of it? Mm. So even though logically, questioning is that Uh, process of thinking where it must appear every place in human life and therefore I went through all the places where it appears in human life it's there
0: no matter where we look on the podcast I like to ask questions about relationships because we're all striving to improve our relationships hopefully how long have you been married Four years. four years I was married before that 19 years wow where did you meet your wife
1: which one? <laughs> the most recent one, the one that I, I
0: saw yesterday.
1: I met her. I met her dancing. Uh, she came to dancing. She has a uh, autoimmune disease which attacks her muscles and joints. So, at one about, for about nine months, she couldn't walk or talk because her tongue is a major muscle. And so, she's been a professional singer all her life. So, she fought her way back. It usually happens with younger people. She fought her way back. She still she learned to talk and then she learned to sing and she came to ballroom dancing because she wanted to get back into action she'd never ballroom danced before and her doctors couldn't believe that she was out dancing with her, her autoimmune disease but since she has a music background and I do then we, we felt comfortable with each other mm. so I've been a ballroom dancer for 51 years even in Vietnam during the war because it was a French colony they mm-hmm. had ballroom dancing in Singapore it was British they had ballroom
0: dancing and in Thailand, British-oriented, so I had ballroom dancing. I took my wife dancing on our first date. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and is there a better skill set to have in if you're in the mating realm, the dating realm, and sexual selection? Is there a better talent to have than being able to dance? Well,
1: uh, and you can look at any of this information up online. The Albert Einstein Institute, uh, about 19 years ago, did a study on any... Mental exercises or physical exercises that would uh, put off the onset of Alzheimer's they found two major mental exercises, actually three: chess, crossword puzzles, and reading mm. okay and that was about twenty four percent effective. They found only one mental exercise that had any impact whatsoever and it was seventy two percent and that was dancing Wow it's physical, mental and social
0: Mm.
1: and social ballroom dancing is not competition, that's sport social ballroom dancing, we have doctors, lawyers, nurses in Houston we have the Chinese community, the Vietnamese community the Hispanic community, uh, black uh, and certainly Caucasian or European uh, cultures and they all dance together from all walks of life, all cultures, we even have one lady who is 67. She has Parkinson's. She can, I've seen her fall down four times in the evening. She knows how to fall. She's in looking at these people, like we talked about yesterday, you can look at these people and not know their background, but she's a child psychologist, doctor degree. She played classical piano. And she comes dancing every Tuesday and Saturday night which says a lot about her but what says even more about social ballroom dancing that all the guys i don't care what their ethnic background do dance with her and she's very difficult to dance with that's the social part of social ballroom dance that's probably the epitome that i can mention
0: hmm. i took ballroom dancing in seventh grade and i don't remember a lot of it but yeah it's so such a cool thing to be able to do for all the reasons you just mentioned
1: and I'll break that down even more there are only four steps in dancing forward back side side everything (laughs) else is a combination Mm. we overcomplicate it and dancing is a communication exercise because if the man is quote-unquote leading or suggesting or whatever you want to call it that means there has to be back and forth communication which is tactile not voice not necessarily visual it's so all it's all about communicating, period. But dance studios do not teach communicating because they want to sell something that's tangible: five steps for five hundred dollars. Mm. Measurement, measurement. But really, it's two brains trying to work as one. So again, we get we get into the communication area. Now I mentioned learning before, but in process of in the discovery of knowledge, there are only questions and answers. So, knowledge and accumulation of answers only comes through questioning that's how we learn, period that's why children ask those millions of questions between the age of 2 and 5 they're trying to learn let's step into the communication area I ask people what is the definition of communication and people stumble trying to come up with a definition I say well this is the definition thinking is the excuse me Communication is the exchange of information. One way is broadcasting. It's like you don't know if the radio is turned on, tune to your station, they're listening, understand, or agree. They could be just nodding their head. You don't know if they got what you were saying. So if we think we're communicators, we are responsible for the exchange of information. And there's only one way to do that, asking well-crafted questions, (laughs) because that gets the feedback. And when you can get them into a process of asking you questions, that's even better.
0: I think of communication like a dance sometimes in that if it flows well, you're both communicating in the same way. So if if I'm doing the stanky leg and you're doing the waltz, then we're going to step on each other's toes. Yes. But for, for us in communication to flow across the dance floor, we need to both be doing the waltz. So I think... You mentioned earlier about how you and your wife complemented each other. Yes. I think we might have talked about yes. that before we started recording. Um, but in my mind, you the way that you communicate verbally is sort of like a dance. And, Absolutely. And you were, you, okay, good. Uh, this is the first time I've ever said this publicly, so I'm hoping that it makes sense. And if it makes sense to a what thinker. D- it does. And
1: what's really essential in relationships, in fi- my consideration is a sense of humor. Mm. Sense of humor is the human safety valve or relief valve. I also believe that that a sense of humor is a measurement of intelligence. And one of the examples I use is stand-up comics. Mm -hmm. First of all, they understand the human condition better than we do, and then they can feed it back to you so you'll laugh at it. That's intelligence.
0: I believe that. Do you have Netflix? I don't there's a show that Jerry Seinfeld has right. where he rides around with comedians, and mm. it is my favorite Netflix show ever. And I don't, I don't watch a lot of Netflix, but yes, you can really tell how well they observe the world and feed it back to you in a way that's like, oh, wow. You know? I never
1: thought about it that I way. I know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I really so admire. a sense of humor is necessary. Uh, in communication, if you're on the same line, for example, if I'm dancing, and if I find this pressure here doesn't work, then I have to adjust my pressure. Now that when I dance with a woman for the first time, she's new, and I'm usually the guy that dances with new women that come, no matter what age, to introduce them to the group just to get them up and dancing because they'll sit there and nobody's dancing with them because they don't know how well they dance or they don't don't know how to introduce themselves. Mm. And I'm the one that's never lost for words, so that <laughs> works. So I get, and, and because I'm a freestylist, my communication must be top of the scale because... There's no anticipated steps. It's mm. what the music is doing. Mm. So when I step up to that woman who I've never danced with before, in the first four or five, six steps, she's telling me, telling me what she can do. Mm. So I have to receive. It's on the listening part of it, mm. in this case, and then I only dance to her level and improve it or change it just a little bit, because I don't want to embarrass her. It's social. Mm. I don't want to look like an ass by showing off either, so it's that happy medium and that's communicating that's whether it's vocal or visual or anything approximately 55% of all our communication is visual picture's worth a thousand words but particularly the face, okay and body 38% is the speed, pitch and tone of voice that's why even a pause on the telephone has information in it which you can't get in text, text is only 7% of communication. That's why we add emoji emojis, right? Yeah. The smiley face. I'm just joking. Yeah. We have to. We ha- We haven't thought about it this way. We don't know that 55 percent of communication is visual, mm-hmm. but subconsciously we do because we've run into so many flames back at us because people misread what we said. So we add these little figures in there to express anger, hate, and so forth and so on. So we're trying to put it back in. But if we realize in the beginning, if your tone. And your facial expression, your words all match, is called congruency. That's mm. when you're trustworthy. Mm. They can trust what you're saying.
0: Mm. I want to go back to sense of humor. Everybody thinks they have a sense of humor, right? It's just a matter of <laughs> sure. we have congruence it's with right. our sense of humor. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So. And therefore, therefore, you can test people up. I speak to people in, in you know. If I go into a grocery store and there's a guy just looking at the shelving, looking, come on, make a decision, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it goes over well because they and they're older, old, usually older guys, but not always. Okay. Yeah, yeah, different age groups definitely have a different sense of humor, and the younger folks nowadays, when they text, they put a smile, a, a laughing emoji to let you know. That they're trying to say something funny. Yes, Suggestive. Exactly. That's anyway. the visual going back in. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Such a new world with all the modes of
1: communication well, that we have. But, but, yes, the challenge is that all your texting
0: is only 7%.
1: Yeah.
0: That's, yeah. And when dating is like 99% texting nowadays. So yep. it's so easy to see how things can be fumbled and miscommunicated. I uh,
1: interviewed 109 top and second levels leaders of a major petroleum company for competence. It was a nine-hour process. It was six hours one day, and then three, four months later, it was another three hours. And one of the things that came up was communication, obviously. In fact, out of those 109 only two failed on all the different subjects because of communication. And I said, when you send an email out and you get this flame back, you can't solve that by sending another email or text. You have to get on the phone because at least you're working with 38% more information. Now, on the offshore structures, they all have video video conferencing and they had to do it every morning at nine o'clock or something, I got to the home office, wherever the home office is. And so at least they're adding the visual back in and that's important. But the problem with the visual we're getting a little deep here, maybe. The problem with the visual you're looking at all these people on the it's like two conference tables connected end to end, but the other one's in the video. And so you speak, see people there on their computers, they're not paying attention, you don't think. So, what do you want to do to make them pay attention, ask, Hey Joe, what do you think about that? <laughs> okay, yeah, it automatically starts mm-hmm. the process, you take control. The other thing is the human eye is much more sensitive to mo- emotion out of the corner of our eyes and light than the center of our eyes. Mm. So when you're sitting at a conference table, the actual conference table, you're reading people both left and right. You can see frowns, you can see people scratching, people putting their head mm. down or whatever it is, or rolling their eyes, right? Mm. You can't see that in a video camera because you're looking at one perspective.
0: Mm. I'm going to ask you some quick questions. Your answers don't need to be quick, but hopefully this will be fun. Which country that you have visited has had the most impact on the way that you think?
1: I would have to say and this is not being chauvinistic, the United States, because the reason we've excelled in technology because the very first amendment of the Constitution protects the question. Mm. We're questioners. Now, questions are dangerous to totalitarian governments and to extremist religions. They will not be questioned.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: In fact, there is a, if you even look this up, there's a Boko Haram, is a offshoot of ISIS, but they're in Africa. Haram is the Arabic word for forbidden. Boko is education.
0: Whoa, I didn't know that.
1: So, you will only think the way we tell you. Mm. In... China, Vietnam, India, Thailand, and other Asian countries, it's considered to be disrespectful for children to ask their parents' questions, their teachers' questions, their professors' questions, and people in authority questions. Well, that's the only way you learn, right? Mm -hmm. So it's called rote, R-O-T-E, learning. I tell you, you write it down, that's it. Mm -hmm. Well, if you don't allow questions to come back, for example, the example I use in the United States in the first 13 years of education in the United States, we don't like, the teachers don't like disruptive questions in class. You can ask them afterwards, so forth and so on, right? And then you go to college, you're supposed to ask questions, but you've been trained for 13 years not to ask questions, right? Mm-hmm. So you're intimidated by the professors because it's a whole new environment. Okay. If teachers, and I talk to teachers, if you allow them to ask questions anytime, including interrupting you, then you know exactly what they know and don't understand. Mm -hmm. then you'd know exactly what to teach. And you cannot remember what you didn't know at that age. Mm -hmm. Only they can tell you that. And when a child or any student at any age asks a question, they are teaching the whole class at their level. Because when you ask a question, they take control. They take control of the professor teacher. Also, the other children or other students say, that's a good question. I wish I asked that. Mm -hmm. I think I know the answer to that. So you're causing them all to think on that level the 10-year-old level as opposed to the 40-year-old teacher.
0: The downside of that, though, I'm, I'm sure you've been in meetings where somebody is trying to prove that they're the smartest person in the room by asking so many damn questions. <laughs> so
1: so that's, that's why I said when I go into before, it's like interrogation, right? That's quite obvious. So the only way to shut those people down, there's two ways, but I'm going to use the polite way, is to ask them questions. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Take control. Take control.
0: What advice would you give your thirty-five-year-old self?
1: Who? Where was I? Thirty-five. Uh, again, I'm not introspective. I just lived life day to day. Now, now, obviously, as I said before, there's only now, and the better now we make, our better our past nows and future nows will be. All we can do is our imperfect best. Mm -hmm. And life is not perfect. In fact, if life were perfect, we'd have nothing to look forward to. We wouldn't get out of bed. Why? We know what's going to come. It's perfect, right? So I believe the imperfect life is perfect because that's Mm -hmm. where we learn. We learn from our imperfections, which we call mistakes or whatever.
0: So I know you're writing to give back in a way. So when I asked that question, there are 35-year-olds listening to this, I promise you.
1: Yes, yes.
0: They might be looking for something prescriptive, perhaps, for somebody who is so wise and, and easy, thinker. A- easy now on the <laughs> wise part.
1: Easy on that. You know, many people don't even know the definition of wisdom. It goes this way. Data is at the bottom. Data, data, data. The next thing up is information. That's when you put data together and you get information. The next is knowledge. Knowledge is knowing how to use information. Wisdom is how to, is how to wisely, uh, uh, appropriately use the knowledge. Mm. So those are the levels, and understanding is near the top, of course. So, wisdom. Uh, let, 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 don't let me get off on this track of wisdom. So you ask the question again.
0: Your thirty-five-year-old
1: self. Yeah. Uh, I've been. I'm both an emotional and, and, and rational person, but by teaching electronics. It's got to be irrational. It's got to be rational, and frat- rational is constant. Emotional is variable. It's the wild card. Our underpinning, underpinning as humans is rational. That's how we still survive, exist, thrive, grow. Everything is the rational part. And so, I'm not. I'm not a negative person to start with. My mother called me irritatingly positive. <laughs> okay, and you can say to a negative person that negative gets you negative neutral gets you nothing. Only positive gets you something. And they intellectually agree with you, but they can't do it.
0: Mm.
1: Stay on the positive side. And some people are just from birth negative, and I don't know what to do about those people. I stay away from them. I call those the rocks in the stream, and I'm the water. I go around them.
0: Mm. I don't
1: even know I'm going around them. I've done that all my life, so it's not a rational decision. Yes, there's a tendency when I run up against an extremely negative person, I just don't associate with them and much of
0: my stay away from the rock. That's the kind of wisdom I'm looking for. Well, I don't know it's that, wisdom, that's really it's a perspective. Well, yeah, but people don't think about that. I, I have friends who hang out with people just because they've known them since since high school, and they could be toxic, and they could have bad habits, and they don't realize how susceptible they are to the influence of those people. You've got to cut those people out. Life is too short. <laughs> be right. the water around the rocks. Exactly, rock. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, don't let the rocks be get flexible. Your way. Move around it. Get Indeed. away from it. Is it okay if I share how old you are? No, no, not at all. Okay, you're seventy. Oh, uh, you mean yes, I can share. Yeah, you okay. can share. Okay, you're seventy-five years old. Yes, and you're sharp. You're writing books. You're giving talks. What do you hope to be doing at eighty-five years old? Same thing. Awesome.
1: Because I ran over, I have stumbled over something that's valuable to all humanity. Now it sounds like a grandiose way of saying things, but it's true. So our challenges today and in the past, but maybe even more so with the internet and all that is misinformation. The only way to get around propaganda and misinformation is ask better questions and ask questions in different areas and do your research. Now, research sounds like a very boring thing. But that's what you need to do there's more questions better questions and all improvement there's no improvement without practice no.
0: none we talk a lot on the podcast about the pursuit of financial independence have you did you save and invest money through the years i did not you didn't okay
1: i invested in life nice and if you look at my Resume. I don't like the word resume. My experience sources on my website, and those are not all of them. It tell you that I learned, I became richer myself. I believe, as a person, through my experiences in different technologies, countries, cultures. I was a uh, uh, in charge of administration, the administration process of a, for development in the province of Oman, which is the Arab country. So. I was there for a year, that's Islam. I was in Asia, that's Buddhist. I grew up in the United States and Canada, that's Christian. So you'd see that commonality, and most of it's commonality, uh, I think genetically we're 99.9% the same. No matter throughout history. We're all concerned about our children, our family, our education, our food, and so forth, the basic things. Even the late Egyptian period, when they're still building pyramids, the craftsmen now knew how to do hieroglyphics on their tablets. What are they worried about? They're worried about their children, their income, their taxes, the government, and all these other things. But Mm -hmm. we haven't changed much. That's true. But we're changing now because of technology. Yeah, so rapidly, right? and not, not knowing how to handle it. The other thing is, technology is changing much faster than government can make adjustments. Mm. Government is bureaucracy, which means you've got a system, keep with the system. That's the opposite of creativity.
0: Yeah. What are you most grateful for?
1: <sighs> my, my level of comfort... comfort with people processes languages cultures I have to say I don't have prejudices which is a hard thing for most people to say because we have hidden prejudices but I'm comfortable with almost every place I am I am gifted with that type of personality It's nothing I did is nothing that I created it's just I am
0: um Prejudice means to prejudge people. So you're saying that okay. you're accepting... I'm, I'm glad you opened that box,
1: okay? Judging is a questioning process, right? A judgment is an answer, right? Mm-hmm. Prejudice is prejudging. That means you haven't asked enough questions. Mm. So you're working on emotion,
0: mm-hmm.
1: not on rational. It's just that simple.
0: How do stereotypes fit into that... Well, you can, there, there are some
1: stereotypes because, for example, the Chinese culture is stereotypical compared to the West. I don't even like the term West, but that's okay. Uh, to European culture, it's a different way of thinking. There actually is a different way of thinking. I, 20, 30 years ago, I, or maybe 40 years ago, I said, how come the, the, the Chinese Asian mentality goes toward a goal and we go in an Not quite an opposite direction, but different. But we always arrive at the same endpoint. How is that possible? We have different ways of getting to to the endpoint, and so that's some of our stereotypical things. There are stereotypical. Mm. In fact, we stereotypicalize people. We say people from the Asian or from Asia are Oriental. Or Orient means rising, Occident means setting. So the people to the east, if you think enough, we're all east from ourselves. So it was a European perspective. Again, that's stereotyping, stereotyping, okay? So people come from Asia, they're not Oriental. So just just by changing those terms, you come to a different perspective on, on putting people in boxes.
0: Yeah. Is it hard for you to find friends that have the same intellectual curiosity? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. It's a rarity, and, and I enjoy it as I'm enjoying you. And I looked at your website and said, aha, there's a kindred spirit. Mm. And I talk to everybody. I'm loquacious. That means uh, there's a thing called Logo Rhea. Logo is the uh, word for word, and Rhea is like diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> Logo Rhea is running off the mouth, but I'm comfortable talking to anybody. Whether it's a hardware store, grocery store, or any place I talk to people. One Now and then I run to people, and I talk on this subject. Uh <clears throat> and many times i say oh it's so refreshing to talk to somebody this is not a waste of time i, I don't need to get home right now <laughs> okay but it's rare yeah cuz most people are into their smartphones and this and the watching television and watching soap operas and watching sitcoms and where everything you know, and they, it's all canned laughter, and <laughs> oh my God, you know? I know. Um, that's going back to Einstein. After a certain age, you shouldn't read books, because you're dealing with somebody else's ideas. If it's a sitcom, you're in trouble. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you don't read books at all anymore? Uh, I don't. Once in a while, I'll read a book. Yeah. You know.
0: mm. uh,
1: but I didn't read it for nine years, because it interfered. That it was brain candy. I wasn't getting on it with my own book and my own thoughts. All creative people, I don't care if it's in any type of work or any type of art form, requires solitude and quiet. That's why we have quiet signs in libraries. Anybody who's creative who's come up with something is in solitude. I don't care if it's a scientist and so forth because any time you're in a crowd, your brain is analyzing everything that's going around you instead of analyzing What your thought processes are I say that some people equate loneliness with solitude I say loneliness is a desert solitude is an oasis Mm. or is one I can't remember the guy saying loneliness is when people leave you and solitude is when you leave them
0: I like that. I I very much value solitude. And I found a woman who also values solitude. And I must say that when we're together, it's like a completed solitude. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm in the States right now for four days to get a business deal done. And I've had a lot of time to sit and think. And my wife is by herself in Mexico right now. And so we've been given this four days of solitude. Mm -hmm. And we both think it's wonderful. And then Mm -hmm. we'll be joyful when we get back together.
1: That's perfect because you have who's needy of social and as a couple now my wife is she has a great talent in singing she, t- she sang for the USO that's for the military when she was 2021 20, in Germany Belgium and France a great gift but her greatest gift is her personhood that's her greatest gift, because she's great with people all the way around. She's just one of those people. It's a natural. She's a small woman, so she's not intimidating in that respect. She's attractive, but not dread beautiful, which I think is can be over the top. So you're very approachable, and she's very approachable. It's the most important thing. That's what she adds to my life. That's awesome.
0: It is. Let's wrap there. Okay. Thank you. Ted, thank you, man, for being on the podcast. And thank you for your service to our country. Oh, thank you for giving me the opportunity. How can people find out more about you and your work? The
1: central area, of course, it would be the books. But the central area would be go to my website. The website is thehumankey.com.
0: Thehumankey.com.
1: And my email address is info, I-N-F-O, information info at thehumankey.com
0: got it and I'll put it in the show notes his website and email address I'll take us out thank you friends for joining us I really appreciate you listening if you're listening on iTunes please hit the subscribe button or you can leave a rating for the show or or, or a review all of it helps to get the word out so thank you also if you wish to follow my travels on Instagram I'm at man underscore overseas and my Twitter is the same thank you folks